Make your plans now to join us for the G3 National Conference, September 30th through October 2nd, as we'll gather for Christian fellowship and the worship of God through song and the preached word. Our theme for the 2021 conference will be centered on biblical Christology. You can find registration details at g3men.org. Get 15% off by mentioning code G3BAR. That's G3BAR. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening or watching our podcast. If you're enjoying our podcast, we would like to invite you to support us by leaving us a review. Let us know how you have been encouraged by each one of the stories that you have listened here. Also leaving us your feedback. You can also help by following us on social media on Instagram and Facebook or by liking or commenting on our post and also by sharing with your friends and family. Also, don't forget to subscribe on our podcast and YouTube channel. Another way that you can also help us is financially by visiting our Patreon page by going on the link here on the description. They did find him on the island that he was last ministering to, but he was dead on a cot in a shack and he had been there for some time. I didn't know what to make of that because it was this profound idea that he lived and died for Christ, but I was living for Chris. You're there and people that know you are a missionary, they don't think of you as a missionary because you are in your own country. Mm -hmm. There are different challenges there, right? They don't understand uh, why or, yeah, this is easy for you or... um... So I went on a walk around her little village. We sat down on a bench and I turned to her and I think my heart was so in my throat. I did not know how (laughs) to put this phrase together. See, we didn't speak any English together. It was only Italian. I actually turned to her and I said, I believe that... I am your future husband. This is Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives, a series dedicated to the testimonies of believers and followers of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Arlenis Bakalu. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives. Again, it's always a joy to be here with you guys. Thank you for being our faithful listeners and viewers also, because I'm pretty sure that you guys might be watching also from YouTube. Thank you for subscribing to our YouTube channel and to our podcast. And as I've been doing for the past couple of episodes, I would like to open up with Bible verse. And today I'm going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And sorry, that was actually uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And uh, all these viral verses that I'm constantly reading on this podcast, it's just for us to be thinking about why is it that every person that comes in the podcast comes and shares their testimony, share their story of salvation? This is why, because we were once God's enemy and Christ had to come to die for our sins. And this is what we hear on a weekly basis. Uh, this is on every Tuesday, you get a new episode, a new person sitting on this, uh, on this chair or the couch here with me. I interview them and they're just telling you what God has done in their life what their life was before Christ and how they were lost, how they needed a savior. 
But today I'm also very excited because we're not only going to be listening to um, the testimony of two wonderful people, but we will be hearing also some of their um, experience in, in the mission field. And why is that so important? Why is it that people go out into the world, you know, in different countries and places that they've never been to before to share the good news, to share the gospel of salvation of Jesus Christ? And on that note, please help me welcome Chris and Irma Burnett. Thank, thank you, you, Chris and Irma, for joining me. Thank it's you, a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Well, it's a pleasure for me. Uh, Irma, I know her because of my EWG group, so she's my uh, leader in this group. So everyone's grace, as I mentioned before, I think it's it come up, It actually came up a lot of times in the conversations <laughs> here with some of the ladies. But also, you guys are part of Sojourners, which my husband and I are part of uh, this fellowship mm-hmm. group at Grace Community Church. Yeah. So very grateful just for the way that you guys have been serving us and the way that you guys have been serving the church, whether singing. I mean, the, you two can do so many things. <laughs> it's like the Lord has blessed you both. Mm. And I can't wait for everyone to get to know a little bit about that. Well, yeah. That's very kind. Thank yeah. you. Thank yeah. You. Thank you. And I, I normally like to begin with my guest. I would love to get to know you both better. And that begins from the very mm-hmm. From your childhood. And I'm going to start with you, Chris, and then I'm going to pass it on to Irma. So if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit with all of us about your childhood, your upbringing, where you're raised in a, in a Christian home, just walk us through through that. Happy to share. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah I, so I have a twin sister, and she and I were raised by godly parents. They definitely loved the Lord. I think there were times in uh, young adulthood that... We would say even as a family, we weren't as rooted in scripture and we were even participating in a church that wasn't uh, holding to uh, expositional teaching and expository preaching of scripture. And so there was so much that uh, contributed to my life that ultimately came from worldly sources. Mm. However, my family was a Christian family, and so I had that privilege of um, of especially getting most of my young discipleship from my mother. Mm. Uh, my sister and I both would testify that uh, that we loved the Lord from an early age. And I remember when I was about five years old, uh, listening to a kid's song tape that uh, was going, it was Salty the Psalm Book. Yeah, I mean, who would, I mean, who would name Andrea Salty? P.S. Salty. He's a salter. And um, <laughs> so I was really drawn to that worship music. He was a big blue dancing book. And. Uh, and, Bible. Oh, yeah, I guess he was a Bible. Well, he was a holy man. He was a holy book. But uh, so <laughs> Salty had this song on his tape uh, that was, I, I want to give you all of me yeah. and give you my heart, give you my mind, give you my arms, my my hands and legs. And I was I was committed to the Lord in a childlike way, and I wanted to give him all of me. I wasn't sure what kind of surgeries it was going to take to give him my hands and give him my eyes. And that freaked me out, but I was committed in a childlike way to the Lord. Um, It was growing up, though, that I did realize uh, giving to him wasn't this outward manifestation. It really needed to be that internal part. And, Mm -hmm. And to speak of the heart as the control center of the person, that was really hard to relinquish to the Lord. And so as I went through um, my schooling and um, adolescence, uh, there were birthed in me um, just a, a range of, 
ungodly attitudes and um, and I would say hidden sins, things that people didn't know about, um, but I did, and I was I was always grieved over them because I did love the Lord, um, but I didn't have that connection with him in a strong enough way. And I didn't, I really didn't have a lot of discipleship in my life either to help me stay on that path. Um, But I really drifted from him. So I would say that when I was young, I loved the Lord in a childlike way. And as I grew, my love didn't always match the the development that I needed to have to be maturing in my love for him. So he did something interesting. I, I went to a a big university to try and be a medical doctor. And uh, it was something that I wanted to do for the Lord. I I wanted to be a missionary actually in Africa. I, I had this idea, and it wasn't just Africa, but it was anywhere that there could be need for me to go around and as a family doctor with the little black bag, go mm-hmm. and help people. Mm-hmm. And so there was this desire for that. There was also a desire for teaching. I just had this fascination with seeing the light bulb turn on on any subject for the listener. And I I wanted to be somebody that could be an influencer. Uh, Putting all that together and knowing what I knew about missionaries and having gone on a few trips, I went to the Dominican Republic when I was 18. I turned 18 (laughs) in the Dominican Republic and and I was in the mountains of Jarabacoa and and it was just, it was so rural. I, I remember they baked me a uh, a birthday cake with whatever they had. It was the, oh, the yellowest looking cake I'd ever seen. <laughs> and, and they had something that they stuck in there, called it a candle, and I blew it out and I turned 18. <laughs> uh, my heart was for the world, yeah. but I was finding as I was getting more into the study of pre-med, um, you know, attempting to kind of make a name for myself, at least enough to get into medical school and to have a practice and do all these things in the world, I was really trying to make a name for myself. Yeah. And so th- this pride, this arrogance was starting to take root in my life in a very marked way. And sin was becoming that much more of a, a, of a growing presence in an overt way in my life. Mm-hmm. And when I was just 21 or just about 21, um, the Lord brought me to this incredible place where I had to, uh, I had to get real about deeper sins than I had ever been before. And I would say that it was almost a, almost like a first repentance. Mm-hmm. Now, I do believe that I, I loved the Lord, but in that childlike way and without the maturing, this was, it was a fresh start. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, if, if you don't mind me just taking a moment oh, on this, please. Yeah, uh, I had a roommate in college that he was, he was pursuing medicine and mm-hmm. he was already doing missions work and he was in the Philippines a lot. That's where his origins were. So he loved his people. And so he set his eyes on, uh, he did um, nursing. And so he would go every summer and go into these rural uh, island communities and go uh, evangelize and do uh, medical missions. Well, one summer he didn't return. And so now I was without a roommate because he just didn't come back. And uh, it turns out that they did find him on the island that he was last ministering to, but he was dead on a cot in a shack and he had been there for some time. I didn't know what to make of that because and it, it may sound silly to say it this way, but it was it was this profound idea that he lived and died for Christ but I was living for Chris. Mm. And uh, that's, it was my friend, my roommate's death while he was pursuing medical missions. 
that snapped me out of kind of the stupor of Christianish living, mm-hmm. and um, but ultimately with unrepentant sin. Mm-hmm. And he brought me to my knees on the very day that I was supposed to go to his funeral. Uh, I never made it to his funeral, and I stopped in a park and I just got down on my knees. And it was this watershed moment of praying and asking the Lord for forgiveness and for a fresh start and for a renewed vision of who he was and who he would have me be in his son. And everything changed. All of a sudden, I no longer wanted to be a medical doctor. Not that that needed to go that way. I know plenty of godly doctors. But for me, now helping people meant something deeper than the skin, something deeper than the physical. And I was on this hot pursuit to be a missionary to my own people in Italy. And so that's what happened when I was 21. And then the Lord started me on that path of preparing for that. And I became a church planting missionary by the time I was 26 in Italy. And he gave me a seven-year run. uh, And that's actually where he brought my wife into the story. That's amazing. And just to think also that you went on the mission strip, but you weren't even a believer then back then, right? I mean, you were... It's so, I mean, it's like a 50-50. It's so hard to know. You were there, like you were... I felt I loved him and I felt that I could serve him, but there was so much of me Mm -hmm. trapped in all of that too. There were more like, like you said, more of Chris than being Christ-like. Yeah. Which is amazing. I mean, and just to see that the Lord even uses those difficult times and trials to bring us to closer Mm -hmm. to him and to cling to him all the more. And I love that he did it within the vision of what he's doing in the world. Mm-hmm. I always saw him building his kingdom. Mm-hmm. That was that was my first missions trip uh, overseas or out of North America, but um, it certainly wasn't my last. And, and to have some vision of God being God to other people mm-hmm. was is so stuck with me. I've, I've seen him worshiped in a jungle village. Yeah. You know, I've seen him worshiped in other environments and that's always helped. And I, and I can go back to that and say, I was able to witness that yeah. uh, when I was young and really immature and perhaps not even a believer. Yeah. And so you grew up here in America, but then uh, the age of 21, then that's when you moved to Italy? It's when I started the pursuit of it. The so I actually, I was able to go for um, months at a time. I, you know, after college, I did like most college graduates from fancy schools do. They go get a job as a waiter in a restaurant. <laughs> and so I, I had this great job where I could quit and nobody would miss me the next shift, uh, go off to Italy and do 45 days and then yeah. um, call my boss back and grovel a little bit. He's like, you want to put your uniform back on? Come on back by 3 p.m. <laughs> I'd get my job back and I would do it again yeah. a couple times the next year uh, to the point where I probably lived well over a year's worth of time in Italy uh, in those years before I actually moved there. Wow. So I had many months at a time, these interim ministry opportunities. And my first thing that I ever wanted to do before even putting roots in Italy was to go evangelize to my cousins. Because wow. I had cousins spread out throughout Italy, but mainly clustered in the South. And they had me in their home and I was sharing the gospel and praying for fruit all the time. New things were happening in my life, and I wanted to share about them. And I had been learning Italian in college just to balance out my science brain. Mm -hmm. And the Lord used that to 
start preparing a way to share the gospel in Italian. Yeah. And so it was just this phenomenal opportunity to go to real live people, most of them that I had never met before in my life. And now I'm in their home sharing this gospel of grace that has so affected my life. Yeah. And so at what age did you officially make the move there? 26. 26. Yeah, that was back, if I can reveal my age, that was back in 2003. 2003. Yeah. Okay, perfect. And so now that we're in in Italy, let's go now to your beautiful wife, Irma. Mm -hmm. So Irma, now I would love to hear also what was the journey like for you as a child and what was home like for you? Sure. Um, well, I was born in Italy and raised there. Um, and by the grace of God, my parents, my mom comes from a Catholic background, but my dad was raised in a Christian home. And my grandpa was his first uh, first convert in his little town in the southern Italy and shared the gospel with his future wife. You have to share that story about how your grandfather came okay. to Christ. Okay. Yes. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. I'm sorry. You just have to yes. hear this. Well, Please do. Yeah. yeah. It's cooler than mine. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) No. Um, He basically was an altar boy all of his life. Um, He uh, was also an orphan. His parents uh, passed away very early. So he and his brothers were spending their days in the church. And at one time, he, he was going home from church, Catholic church, to his house. And this Jehovah Witness stops him. And he says, here, he starts sharing the, um, you know, the beliefs of whatever they believe. And he's like, oh, that really doesn't sound right. But he goes home. He has the Bible. And uh, the night, the following day on the street, he finds this tract. It was a gospel tract. And he starts reading it. And then he reads his Bible. And he believes that by reading that gospel track and by, and by reading the Bible that the Lord changes already. He saw that he was, that what he was doing all of his life was a lie, mm-hmm. uh, trying to earn his salvation through work. Mm-hmm. And um, then I believe maybe three weeks later or a month, uh, the Lord sends two itinerary uh, evangelists in his sound and they you know, meet him on the street and they explain the gospel rightly to him. And then he, um, he was affirmed, his salvation was affirmed and he started, you know, with their help also, uh, setting up a church, but he was the first convert and his uh, wife, my grandma, and then they started this small church and it grew. And then my dad comes from, uh, so he was pastoring a church. Yes. He was an elder. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Like, there's yeah. no place like you know you don't have there is no perfect no. place but the street the street and finding the that track, little track and through Jehovah Witness like kind of putting that little um, seed in his <laughs> brain and then he opened the Bible <laughs> and he opened the Catholic yeah. Bible that's the yeah. only Bible he had so another amazing thing is I don't think I mean I, I also come from a Catholic background and I don't think that you were even allowed to. No. For me, I mean, yeah. as, I, as no. far as I can remember, like, yeah. you, were not, you were not allowed up, up to. Up until the, the 60s, you couldn't yeah. read the Bible at home. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And just they, to see yeah. God's grace there. Yeah. And so. So then my mom. So my through, mom yeah. was raised in a Catholic home and they she met my dad. They uh, were dating. And uh, through my grandparents sharing the gospel with my mom and my dad was at that time really not um, saved and uh, walking with the Lord. And that's why he was dating an unbeliever. And uh, but then um, my mom 
got saved before he did. And then uh, she even went to him and said, hey, I can't, you know, we can't date anymore and he's like wow okay (laughs) and he was really upset at his parents he's like oh I bring my girl here and that's what you do (laughs) and so um (laughs) they but she got saved and then a few I believe few months after that he they they got baptized together they 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 married and they had us uh, my brother and I yeah yeah, and so how, was oldest, life, yeah. Mm-hmm. how was life like then for you? Yeah, so by your parents uh, it was, I, it's such a blessing and very rare to be, um, it's a gift to, you know, being raised in a, a Christian home, especially in Italy, mm-hmm. uh, where everybody, you know, all my friends were Catholics. And um, so we went to church. My mom especially um, did um, devotions with us. And I have this really this fond memories of being really young and loving the Lord. But um, there were a time, there was a time, a specific time that I remembered. We, uh, we went to church. I was 11. And there was this like sense in me that something was missing. I loved the Lord. I knew who he was. But um, there were baptism at our church. And through their testimonies, I really mm-hmm. felt that I wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. And I haven't probably fully repented. So um, after the church, after the service, we went home with my, and I talked to my mom. I said, I, something is missing. And we talked and she's like, well, you need to, um, you know, see yourself as a sinner. Do you, you know, all those questions that we ask of, you know, people if they are sure or not of their salvation. Yeah. And I remember praying with her. And from that point on, I can say that the Lord really, uh, if there is a date, <laughs> it's that time uh, yeah. that I was probably saved uh, and I repented. I know that, you know, there are those things that you do, you disobey your parents. There are things and thoughts that, you know, as a child, you can even see that yeah. needs, um, that those are sin, yeah. sins. And um, so that's what I saw myself as a sinner and mm-hmm. in need of Christ. And then from that point on, um, it was a battle because, um, you know, you I was 11, so then... We fast forward to when I was in high school and I was the only believer in a school of 500 children. Mm. The only believer, the true, true believer. There were many others that, you know, professed or not. But um, and it was very lonely because you are by yourself and you you are tempted left and right. But I look at that time as a blessing because the Lord showed me that he had me and that I was his and I belonged to him and I was saved because temptations were uh, at every angle, right? And you are a teenager wanting to do what your friends do, mm-hmm. feeling that pressure or peer pressure, but saying, oh, uh, this is against the Lord and, you know, what is now. That I, I fell also times and uh, I sinned because we do sin. Yeah. And then the Lord used that also to reveal that I needed to grow and uh, commit uh, seriously to Him. And yeah. um, so toward the end of high school, I was reading this amazing book that changed my life. Um, it's the story of Amy Carmichael, uh, a missionary to India, and she mm-hmm. in the 1800s. And the love and the devotion that she had for the Lord, she basically abandoned her life. And at that time, for a woman to be a missionary was no uh, small task in India. And she did it. She, and so by reading this book, I'm like, oh, I need to be a missionary. So mm-hmm. I, and I wanted to be a missionary to India. It really was so strong, this like 
you know, I really felt it. I, I, I need to serve the Lord in that way. Um, yeah. So I went to Bible. I wanted to be also a doctor, a uh, an obstetrician, an OBG, a baby doctor. I'm yes, I know. some similarities I already. know, I know. <laughs> we'll I know. get there soon. <laughs> yes, yes. And, um, but uh, I also wanted to serve the Lord. So I went to my dad and my dad said, you can, he was not in favor of me being a, um, going to Bible, Bible college because, like, well, you need you know, have a career. It's a great thing to be a doctor. And I think all parents probably would push their kids toward that. But, um, but I said, so he said, you have to choose either you go to Bible college or you go to become a doctor. And I said, Hmm, that's a tough choice because <laughs> I wanted to do both. Yeah. And I chose to go to Bible college and then see if I, um, if I could, you know, uh, become a missionary and then, I met him. Um, the rest is and history. And then her and life ended there. No. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's when the thing, you know, the and most amazing started. experience yes. started, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about So I hear that he wanted to be a missionary in Africa. You wanted to be a missionary in India. Yes. And you want you both want to serve the Lord. So tell me, I, I, I know that I asked them this question before we started the podcast of how they met and everything. Yeah. And what was the journey like for you guys? So how do you come to the conclusion of like, this is the one. Mm-hmm. So tell who want to take it. Whoever well, wants to take it. Maybe, I don't know. I have to go first. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> who gives the most this juicy is, details? Oh, juicy details is me. <laughs> okay, so let's go. she's just very humble and modest. <laughs> Um, Let's go, Chris. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, I mean, I, I have this flashbulb memory of when I saw her walk through the dining hall of the Bible school in Rome. And I remember what she looked like, how her hair was. But it was this afternoon and it was at the school and we were on our afternoon tea break. You would have a, a few different breaks during the day of long studying and we were doing some work in Greek. And so very heady stuff and you need a break. And that break was long enough that that was the time that any guests would come in and socialize a little bit, have some fellowship. And in walks this beauty with a ponytail. And uh, it was just, you know, just the things that you don't forget. Right. Um, But what I, what I remember most of all is, (laughs) well, looking up to the ceiling and saying, are you kidding me right now? (laughs) I really did. I don't know which language I said that in, but it, I'm sure Probably it was just in both. my head. Yeah. But I was really taken aback, and I just, um, I said, I love her. Mm. I, I don't know who she is, but I <laughs> I feel really drawn to her. And so, I don't know, maybe it was they spiked the tea with something, yeah. but um, it, ended up, it ended up being that. So... Uh, where it went from there is, um, oh, I think it was probably about three weeks later that uh, her parents graciously, who lived in the South, they were on the route to go visit my cousins again. And since I was living in Rome, I would take a five or six hour train across the country and dip into the heel uh, and go further south than where her family was by about another 100 kilometers and go visit my cousins. And I was going to be with them for Easter break. So wait, wait uh- do your family know each other? Like no. both they don't. So they don't. They don't. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I thought no. that they. Okay. Yeah. No. No connection there whatsoever. But I was able to meet her mother, who was up there at the Bible school traveling with her when she came in that day and visited. She stayed for about a week or so as a guest, and mm-hmm. I think all the the real the only 
intimate interaction that there was that whole time was us passing each other in the hallway and just kind of looking at each other and then going, you know, or I'm at a study desk and I look up right when she's passing by and it's that gaze that just keeps going. But, but I loved her. And so it was this thing where I was on this hot pursuit. Um, so I made a deal with her mom. I just asked, you know, if it's possible, I'm going to be through your area, and you're one of the train stops along the way to go visit my cousins. What if I get off the train and I come all the way inland to your house? And I know that's a long trip, but maybe I can come for 45 minutes, nothing more than that, and just have a cafe. And then I'll get back. I'll find a way back to the train and I'll make my way down and I'll stay with my cousins and you never have to see me again. But I'd just like to say hello to you and your husband and son and your daughter. Um, she's like, come for a coffee. You stay for three days. Oh. <laughs> so, so I was a guest in their home. Wow. And I don't know if I even saw my cousins that trip. But uh, the, the mission was on and, uh, and it was a success. And it was when we were there. See, I think you were at the Bible school and you're looking at me from the other side of that hall and I was just a nobody. Yes. To you, yeah. to me, you were like everything. So you hadn't even noticed him. Like you didn't see him as like you knew that he existed, but yes. you didn't. No, no, no. I noticed him because uh, he was the only American there, and <laughs> and so somebody, a friend of our uh, that we have in common, actually told me like, "There's this guy you have to meet. He is from. He comes from the states. He, he's a great guy." And I'm like, uh, you know. Just, you know, I wasn't looking and I was fine. So I go there and I know that that must have been him. And I looked at him like, oh, he's cute. <laughs> the American is cute. Totally different levels of thought happening between. He was already other. like drawn to you. Like, oh, yeah, this is I happening. I had no idea. But yeah. yeah. yeah and so what so. happens then on those three days? Well, you know, as is a lot of talking yeah. and a lot of spending time with the family mm-hmm. and a lot of watching her cook and seeing how she interacts with her family and enjoying everything about the experience. But then there's this thing that uh, at least a Southern Italian godly man will do with the girl that he's interested in, take her on a walk. Mm -hmm. And there's this walk and then there's this talk. And it's, uh, and so we did that. Uh, She, (laughs) am I totally embarrassing you? No, no, no. So, uh, (laughs) This was the thing. I I didn't want to play it like some American and I'm just, you know, stick a flag in it. You're mine. Um, (laughs) This was, I did it the Southern Italian way and I took her on a walk around her little village and um, we sat down on a bench and I turned to her and I think my heart was so in my throat. I did not know how to put this (laughs) phrase together. See, we didn't speak any English together. It was only Italian. And I only had what I had at that point. I mean, proficient, fluent, I don't think so. And, and this was the moment that it was all tested because I actually turned to her and I said, I believe that I am your future husband. And then I heard myself say that and I, I was mortified. I can't believe it came out that way. I don't know how to soften that because that's how I felt. But it would just, that was it. Those were the words, but in Italian. And this, yeah, this is after three days and I'm like, what did he say? <laughs> and, it's crazy. And I, I, well, it's funny because I really liked him already. So I I knew he wanted to serve the Lord and that was a big number one, right? I wanted to be a missionary. So if this guy doesn't want to do anything with serving, then, you know, he's 
nice and all, but so I, but I, it was so like sudden that I said, I know. That she was so coy. She just turns. She's like, Wait, do you say I know, I know, I know to his to him big bomb? Because yeah, it's like not even like let's yes. date. This is no, like your, no, I'm gonna no. be your. And it was like yeah. And then I'm like, I said I know. I'm like what? Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know how I was able to extract myself from that situation and go back on the train and go visit my cousins after that because this yeah. was like this is too good to be true. Yeah. We just had declared love for each other. Or I declared love and she accepted it. <laughs> She's like, okay. <laughs> you insist. Yeah, no. So I remember then, I, uh, after that, I did get on the train and I, I did go down south and I was visiting cousins. But most of my cousins weren't available. But the people that were available were missionaries in the downtown area where my cousins lived. Mm-hmm. And so I stayed with the missionaries. And I remember yes. they locked me in their back room and said, you're going to listen to all 10 hours of sermons by our pastor on godly marriage. And they literally pulled out cassettes from who knows when. And they just had me take notes. And I literally had to read like two books. Wow. <laughs> they said, you are not getting back on that train because what was going to happen after this is I was going to get back on the train and stay another day or two with the yeah. family mm. on my way back into Rome. And um, they just wanted me to start getting some godly thinking on my mm-hmm. on my yeah. into my head. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's crucial. Uh, it's crucial yes. because this is something for for life. For right? life, you know, The Lord decides, yes. right? Yes. So, so yeah. what was um, what were some of the things, obviously, that you consider towards each other? Like, okay, so what were, what were some of the things that you need to, needed to consider? Because, well, you both know that you're both believers at this point. So, yes. what were the other things that you had to really think through? even prayed about mm-hmm. I don't know yeah and we did have um it's it's funny it's for you know our church where my church where I come from uh people that are dating they're dating seriously to then uh with marriage in view right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we were um counseled to take time and, and pray about it you know mm-hmm. because yes there is this physical attraction and now you know, but for me, so praying was again, like I was mentioning before, I it was important that my future husband would be somebody who wanted to serve the Lord full time. Mm-hmm. I really had that in mind um, as a you know a ministry somehow in ministry, uh, necess- not necessarily a mission, but by then um, India was on. I was not there anymore because mm-hmm. being in the Bible college, I really. Uh, came to an understanding how important it was to stay in Italy and the need that Italy had. And so I said, well, if I have to stay and serve in Italy, that would be just as long as we serve and we share the gospel with the, with the lost. And uh, that was a big uh, deal for me. He had mm-hmm. to be somebody that um, loved the Lord for before loving me and serving him. And, and then the rest, of course, you know, you need to like somebody because yeah. you can't just, of course, we need to have that element. Yeah, yeah it's important. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then other things like we we discovered that we have so many things in common, too. We have we didn't know we have music in common. We had yeah. uh, art and other things that, you know, made it easy to get along. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean, clearly uh our little declaration there on that park bench was love that we wanted to see flourish into marriage. Mm-hmm. And so I remember just spending that week down with the missionaries and then the trip back. And, and all of my thought was now about 
what's it, what does it mean to be a godly husband? And what does it mean to be a godly man? I mean, mm-hmm. do I, am I even prepared for this type of mature lifestyle that needs to accompany very mature choices? Mm-hmm. And so uh, the Lord just started a work in mm-hmm. just character development that was kind of unparalleled from anything before, because now there was a lot riding on it. You're looking at yeah. a future generation. Mm-hmm. So that was a big deal, thinking about um, how, do, how do I need to grow in, in view of this budding relationship? And um, then the other thing was, how do we grow together when it's a distance relationship? She was only visiting the Bible college. Right. Um, she, wasn't, mm-hmm. she wasn't there with me in Rome. She was on the other side of the country. Mm-hmm. And so for us to get to each other was already a five-hour train trip mm-hmm. or bus trip or something. So it was a long-distance relationship. So how do you conduct yourself during that? How do you make it to be a fruitful but not overly passionate weekend when you do get to be with in each other's places? How do you build in service to Christ and to the church, mm-hmm. both her to her church and her youth group when I'm up in her area, and then her with the missionary church plant that I was interning with in Rome when we were down there, you know, mm-hmm. or when she would come to visit me. So trying to figure out even this lifestyle of a distance relationship that would grow us together but then put us in that main frame of Christian service because yeah. that was the backbone mm-hmm. of yeah. this. It's, that was our individual personal desire for the Lord, but mm-hmm. we knew that was going to be a big mm-hmm. part of our marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think with that, there's the tension of, you know, a long-distance relationship. That just stinks. You yeah. know, it's just hard. It's <laughs> yeah. just hard. Um, and that, that was for another two years because for mm-hmm. me it was a three-year program. Mm-hmm. We actually got married at the Bible school on the front lawn. Mm -hmm. It was a villa converted for this purpose outside of Rome. And we got married the week after I graduated. Wow. So we just, we didn't waste any time once that was done, but it was a long haul Mm -hmm. to get there. Yeah. And I like, that's a good point of, you know, for someone who's looking at someone and they are interested in, uh, how do they serve in the church? Mm -hmm. Um, How do they serve others? How do they serve their families? You know, Really also be friends maybe and work together, especially I feel like, you know, in a church like ours, we have so many that could do that, could look at each other and say, "Mm, I like that person besides, you know, the first impact that, you know, you you see and you have, but also how are they working in the church? How are they serving? How are they serving others? Yeah. 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 And so before you guys get to the, you know, to the final I do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what was the conversation like for both of you? Because clearly you both want to be serving the Lord, but you want to go be a missionary in Africa. So what is the dynamic? How do you come to the conclusion, okay, so this is what I want. What were you willing to sacrifice mm-hmm. for the other person? How did you work that out? Well, maybe I can address that. Um, that's a great question. I actually, at this point, I was so aware of the need in Italy for um, church planting to see a godly generation raised up. And I was so uh, just aware, even looking at my non-believing cousins, Mm -hmm. of how little reality of godly influence there was in any town. I mean, really, it's just, it's an unreached people, even today, Italy. Mm -hmm. I shifted my focus at that time from, from Africa and other places where, yeah, there's low hanging fruit, so to speak. There's ripe opportunities to see uh, the gospel progress, that needed to be a work of other missionaries. 
Okay. I had the language down. At that point, I was able to preach in Italian, however badly that was, or however badly it still is. <laughs> I'll, I'll let her answer that. <laughs> She'll be the judge. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she is the judge. Uh, rightly so. Um, but these were my people. And so there was no uh, turning my back on them. Now my life was entirely dedicated to serving the Lord in Italy. So that we now had in common, that mm. for both of us, we had... Not to take our eyes off of the third world. Um, Lord knows how much of the third world is in Italy now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to shift our focus to our people of origin. And that was a foundational shift. And once we had that together, it didn't matter what town we lived in. It didn't matter how we served. As long as it was strengthening the local church and raising up local believers to be fruitful ministers of the gospel through the local context, that's that's what we were all about. Mm-hmm. So I think we we definitely had the same vision. Now, what does that mean in terms of parents that still would have liked her to be a doctor or things like that? You know, there's there's a bit of that challenge of, of how you mm-hmm. bring other people into that vision. But hey, once we were married, we knew that that we had cleaved from our families. We were mm-hmm. we were now mm-hmm. united, and that meant you also united in service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how long did you guys serve uh, in Italy and as missionaries um, after you got married? So we were in Rome uh, doing a church plant that I had uh, been interning with uh, in my Bible school days, and we stayed for an extra two years. Mm-hmm. And when she found out she was pregnant with our oldest, who's now 12, if you can believe that, <laughs> um, we we made a move to greener pastures. We moved up north. We found an area that the Lord seemed to be opening up a door. It's called the Republic of San Marino, La Repubblica di San Marino. Mm-hmm. And it's a landlocked mini-state. It was one of these... Uh, uh, city-states that never converted mm-hmm. uh, to the unified Italy under Garibaldi back in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's always existed as its own republic, but there's never been an evangelical presence there. Yeah. So the opportunity to be there and the Lord seemed to be opening up doors, mm-hmm. oh, it was just, it, it just seemed like a sure, sure bet. So we moved up there and he graciously gave us about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and then almost inexplicably, he pulled us out and brought us back to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And so before we get to Los Angeles, you're newlyweds and you're serving the Lord in the mission field. How did you manage to, you know, to work in a marriage, work in ministry, and all together, how were you able also to serve him as your husband? It was, you know, when you first year of marriage, they say it's very hard. And I, we loved it. We were like, oh, why didn't we get married sooner? <laughs> <laughs> it was really great. We, and also, um, we worked together a lot. We were always, um, whatever we were doing in our ministry, we were doing it together just because at that time we didn't have any children. So I could uh, really invest my time um, helping him whatever the you know the ministry was and so it wasn't really difficult to manage that I wasn't working uh, in a secular world so um, yeah we just dedicated ourselves to that and it was really sweet it was hard at times because we had uh, especially when we went to San Marino then by then um, after a few months of us moving we had a first baby and he was, you know, then there is a baby. And so things change, but 
Um, and we were under attacks. Unfortunately, we had um, we were persecuted uh, there, and it was uh, it became really hard. And so there were hardships uh, that though draw us closer as a couple. And we realized, you know, that's we we are committed to each other and. Also, there is this view of biblical, you know, womanhood and what my role was as after becoming a mother, you know, things that change um, with my role. Now it's not just my husband, but it's my children serving. My husband is serving my children and that, um, you know, that I had to adjust also because, mm-hmm. you know, you have some uh, view of what your ministry should be like, but then you not you need to realize that your ministry, when you have children, that's your ministry and yeah. it changes. But yeah. yeah, so it was, it was good. Yeah, we enjoyed mm-hmm. our couple of years, four years of a mission life. Yeah. There was mm-hmm. a simplicity to that. Uh, we were just able to grow together and uh, life is admittedly slower mm-hmm. in Italy. Yeah. Yes. And that's, that becomes a big blessing because you just redeem so much time together. Everything in Italy, even in a hustling, bustling world always revolves around the dinner table. Mm-hmm. Or the lunch table in that case. Mm-hmm. Um, there are just there are set obligations that society understands about family, mm-hmm. and so built into the crazy work week is a sense of connectedness around that kitchen yeah. table, and so I think we had the the joy of learning much about each other while we were still busy with all the other activities and church planting. Of course, has its time demands. But the the attacks came fierce, and we didn't expect, I I don't know why we had this fancy idea that the Lord is marching in the gospel into a new unreached area that's been its own republic. When we talk about San San Marino, it's been a republic for 1,800 years on paper, but it hasn't had an evangelical church. This must not be. So let's go in and let's see him just quickly develop fruit. I think we were so naive. Mm. So naive about what ministry was going to be like in an unreached area. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty horrible yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah very brutal. And yeah. I think, you know, I, I wouldn't have said this years ago, but some time has passed and I can reflect back and say it was purely the grace of God mm-hmm. to pull us out of San Marino and to mm-hmm. establish us in a healthy, functioning local church where I didn't have to lead anything. Mm. But the only way that he could do that was to take us out of Italy entirely. And he mm. brought us to Los Angeles. We bemoaned that for years. Yeah. We were so upset. I mean, here we were. We were church planting in a new area. And yeah, give me the attacks. I can handle it. Well, spiritually, though, I think I was plateauing. Mm. I didn't really have much more to give. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't know maybe even quite how to hold my family together under all of this. Mm, The stress was greater than we were willing to acknowledge. Mm -hmm. But the Lord, in his kindness, moved us away from there. And and what um, causes this move? So what is the main reason why now you guys move to uh, Los Angeles? Yeah. Yeah. So we were um, supported uh, as missionaries, and it was du- during 2009. There, um, we had this uh, recession, right, in America, and so supporters out of the blue were dropping, and we ended up to a point where we didn't have support um, financially. 
and we were going into debt. So we, um, you know, after also resisting that because we were like, oh, but we can make it, you know, it's normal to, we're missionaries, it's normal to be uh, undersupported. And all those, you know, we didn't have um, also good counselors at that time that would say just, you know, this is time to leave and go, pack your bags and go. Mm-hmm. And go and, you know, um, raise more support. But at, uh, it came to a point where we couldn't do it anymore, any longer. And so to be wise with our, what you know, what the Lord had given us, we uh, packed our bags, came to Los Angeles to with the, the desire to pay our debts and then go back, raise more support and go back uh, after a couple of years. Yeah, that was the, the goal. And the yeah. Lord blessed it. Uh, within mm-hmm. a year, we were out of debt. Yeah. And, um, you know, before that, it was was like, how are we ever going to get out of debt? We had to buy uh, diapers Diapers. (laughs) on a credit card. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was really bad. Mm. Um, But the Lord resolved it. And again, his hand of providence was just just doing miraculous works to just what we thought was to prepare the way for us to go right back into San Marino. Yeah. Right back into the line of fire, but this time debt-free and enabled Mm -hmm. to to handle that. Equipped, yes. But we weren't equipped. Mm-hmm. It, there was so much more um, that he wanted to teach us. We needed to grow closer together. We needed to grow our family. Things that we didn't know were on the horizon. Uh, and we since had two other boys. And also, how do you get out of that spiritual rut of not really having more to, uh, like, deeper ministry to give to the people that you need to minister to, mm-hmm. well, you need to get trained. Yeah. And so Bible school was not enough for the work that we were doing. And the Lord knew that way before we did. And so he had incredible plans to push us in a totally new direction. But to do that level of training for ministry, we couldn't even be on the continent that we loved so much. We had mm-hmm. to be in L.A. Mm-hmm. And what happens after you guys move here to L.A.? He sent me to seminary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a couple of years yeah. into living back in L.A. and just trying to be a normal, um, regular Christian uh, in the workplace. Uh, I was in real estate with my dad, who has a brokerage. So there was a there was a wonderful opportunity for me to just jump right in. Um, and we were ministering in our local church here in Los Angeles. Uh, we were contacted by a church that said, we have on our hearts to send young men and young families like you to seminary to get you trained for the work overseas that you plan to do. And if you would be willing to stay in L.A. for three more years, three more years, we're like, who's going to stay in L.A.? I mean, it's L.A. after all. I don't know if we'll survive three more years. Um, then we'll send you to seminary, full tuition, mm. books, materials, all of that. Yeah. You just have to say yes. <laughs> well, we knew enough at that point to say you do not chase the money. The money. Yeah. You are not going to make any spiritually grounded decision on the basis of material provision. Mm-hmm. And so for us, the the idea was we're being given an opportunity that we didn't seek. Mm-hmm. in a total way that we would have never imagined. And it's totally funded. How should we look at all of that? Mm-hmm. Well, we prayed and we fasted and we asked a lot of godly people mm-hmm. to pour into that and give us counsel. And you know they did. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And um, we said yes. And that started my journey into the master's seminary. And I have never gotten out of it. <laughs> You're still <laughs> I am. It. Now yeah. I'm, you know, I'm beyond the, the general pastoral training, the, the master of divinity, the MDiv. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done specialized research on a missions focus mm-hmm. at the THM level, the master of theology. And now I'm writing um, hopefully what will turn into a missions manual on how to contextualize the faith overseas. Yeah. And I'm doing that at the PhD level. And you're working at the seminary. Yeah. So you got a job there, right? Yeah. So I, I teach classes uh, in the Master of Theology level, the THM. And I help, uh, I teach four classes a year mm-hmm. to their students. And a lot of them come from overseas missions wow. contexts. Right now I have two students um, from Southeast Asia. And uh, it's just such a blessing. And I, I've had Italians in my classes. Wow. So the very people that I wanted to be <laughs> are now the ones that I have the privilege of training. Yeah. And, um, hey, shouldn't we look at ministry that way? If you're pouring into the local church, you can do that even from this level of training the pastors that mm-hmm. shepherd the local churches. Yeah. And so for me, I just counted a blessing. It's great ministry. And um, at this point, I hope the Lord never takes me away from it. Yeah. And so tell me a little bit about the ministries that you guys are involved now at Grace Community Church. I mean, I, I as as I'm looking at you, I, I'm just remembering first time I ever saw you at Grace, it had to be in one of the Christmas concerts, probably. Because oh. <laughs> there are four guys who always go up there. You guys do like this quartet. Yes. <laughs> beautiful, different voices. And I do remember seeing you up there. That's right. You're both talented in music. You can play the piano. You sing. You guys are like, have led, you know, worship and sojourners. You have sang in big church. So tell me a little bit about the different ministries that you have been involved in this past couple of years that you've been at uh, the seminary. Yeah. Well, music is just a part of our lives. And Um, we've always looked at it this way. If we have anything that the Lord can use in service, then we just beg him to use it. Mm-hmm. We want we want to be useful. Mm-hmm. And so for us, music is a given. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, gratefully, we're in a situation where we have um, some kind of a, a level of musical skill that we can give. So yeah, I do men's quartets on occasion, and that can be at a Christmas concert or men's ensembles, or um, during the year I get called in for that. And so it's wonderful to be a part of music ministry. Also, uh, because the Lord's allowed me to uh, start to develop a, a teaching gift, I guess. Uh, uh, teaching is just something I love. I love Um, watching the Lord turn the light bulb on for people, whatever subject it could be. Um, you know, uh, but my, my preference is to help them understand who God is and to do that from a basis of theology and that discipline. That's really where my heart is at. Uh, and, and then to see that go out into missions. I want, I want to personally study how people all over the world worship God, mm-hmm. knowing that from Scripture they're worshiping the same God, and there are characteristics that they all share as Christians, but there are cultural factors. And I want to see how one culture expresses their love for Christ mm-hmm. compared to another culture. And I'm assuming that there's differences that just magnify mm-hmm. the angles and the lenses through which we can see Christ himself. Yeah. So to do that um, takes me into my studies, uh, in, especially at the PhD level, because I talk about missions contextualization. Mm-hmm. But at the um, at the church, I've been really, really honored the last three years. They've allowed me to teach all the theology classes for the church in the Grace Equip program. 
it used to be called Lagos, and I was a Lagos student before I even went to Italy. I took a few classes, mm-hmm. and um, so I'm. I love that ministry, and I just love that they allow me to be the theology teacher. I feel like that's one of the greatest ministries that I could have at Grace Community Church. Um, On top of that, I've been really privileged recently to be a part of the leadership team at Sojourners, our fellowship group. Mm -hmm. And they're working with some incredibly brilliant men, but some of the most godly men that I could possibly serve next to. Mm -hmm. So it's a great inspiration for me to be godlier and to have a a, a greater servant heart. Um, and it also, it's just, it's great for the practical wisdom of how to shepherd all the people that we have in our charge. Yeah. So there's four of us on that team. And so really privileged to be on a preaching rotation and um, to be somebody that can be looked at as a leader. And I, I just pray that the Lord will keep me faithful to that end. I think those yeah. are the main ministries. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've been like yeah. teaching, preaching as sojourners, but you guys have also served like in the worship team, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. we will play the piano and we will sing with you. I mean, yeah. that's just amazing to see you both also mm-hmm. as a couple to serve the Lord in that way. And now I am just curious about how do you manage ministry, school, family? How do you balance all the three, making sure that neither one takes more of your time and that you put priority to all three. You know, you didn't tell me I was going to get this question, but I knew oh, I was I, I, told, I told her I will ask question on like, yeah, well, out of the blue. As they go. <laughs> but, but this is, that's that implication question, right? Yes. So you talk about everything you're doing and how you're wired and you say, how do you not lose your family in the process? Mm-hmm. Uh, right. If we, if we, do this great ministry and it doesn't involve our family and we forget that our family is our first ministry, mm-hmm. then we will lose our ministry mm-hmm. because we betrayed that priority in ministry. So um, practically speaking, this is what my work week looks like. Uh, on a daily basis, I'm trying to get up on the early side to have devotions and then time in my PhD research. I'm in a writing phase now Mm -hmm. and I'm about a third of the way through my dissertation. I just kind of need to plod along every day. Mm -hmm. And if I can be up by about 4.30 in the morning and, you know, fueled by coffee and prayer by five, (laughs) then I can get in a few really good hours. Um, I then shift over to my day job, uh, which is partly through the seminary teaching these classes, two per term. Uh, like in the fall and then two in the spring. But um, but most of my work week is now with the Master's Academy International, mm-hmm. TMAI. So yeah, I work um, in an academics team where we're helping our network of um, pastoral training uh, schools uh, to just advance in some of their academic programs so that they can beef up or just uh, maybe add a little bit more quality or just have the resourcing that they need for uh, the pastoral training programs that they offer. Mm -hmm. There are right now 17 or 18 schools all across the world. We're talking every region where there could be a school. There is one. And they they come out originally from the master's seminary. Mm -hmm. And when we have our graduates there that have a heart for raising up pastors for the work of the local church, uh, they they put a team together of faculty and they start running programs. So I have this privilege to resource those schools and to help oversee and just maintain in any way from the home office that I can. So it's really a great privilege because it yeah. it pu- pulls together some of my greatest passions. One is that 
teaching side and the academic side. The other is the mission side. And and really, I can't be on the field right now just because that's not where the Lord has me. Um, So what better thing than to put me on 18 different fields and all of their satellite programs. So if it's a Latin American school, it might be in five or six different countries um, with satellite programs. So I feel like in a way I get to be serving in 45 different uh, countries and places Mm -hmm. where there's pastoral training happening around the world. That's my work day. So, you know, 8.30 or 9 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I try and wrap that up so that I can be at home by dinner time. And by that point, let's face it, I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. So it's great to then just have time with my boys and with my wife mm-hmm. uh, from about dinner on. There's exceptions to that rule, but it's great to have enough of a stable type of mm-hmm. uh, structure to the week that mm-hmm. That, that it just kind of runs itself. Everybody knows I'll be home in time for dinner. Yeah. One huge blessing in 2020, apart from all the other blessings that we did feel mm-hmm. and a lot of challenges that became blessings, was that I got to work from home. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't have to all the time, uh, but I had that privilege. And so it was great to just be around my kids and check in with them throughout the day mm-hmm. while dad was at work. Mm-hmm. So that's been a great thing. And I just have a sneaking suspicion that um, we'll all have a hard time when I have to go back into an office on a regular basis. And that's going to be about that point that I need all your listeners to pray (laughs) that I can be on that strict 4.30 or 5 a.m., 9 a.m. and dinner time and separate my life enough so that um, everything that's important to be done right now gets accomplished Mm-hmm. but that the people that don't suffer for it are my family. Yeah, yeah. And now it goes to you, Armelie, mm-hmm. because you, then you have your part, right? So yes. how? what is the way that you are able to serve him mm-hmm. and then to care yeah. for the house and yes. the kids? Yes. Yeah, so what is your part like? Yeah, so uh, what is my day like? Um, <laughs> and how do you serve you yes. know, his, your husband to make it, I guess, easier? Also, yeah, for him to so, well, again, uh, having children, that's, I three. think the best three boys. So and they're here. Boys, and so they're if here. you hear anyone and around you, here, yes, that's you, the three boys. That's the three boys uh, <laughs> over there. You will hear them if you listen to <laughs> oh, them. Yeah, don't worry. We're, we have some sound effects yeah, in the background. talented enough to cancel their, their voices. Anyway, we have three boys, uh, 12, 9, and 5. And we homeschool, so... This is part of our day. My day is uh, mostly dedicated to them, homeschooling them. And for me, uh, I it is a, a big privilege and a big task as a, a mom and a wife to uh, enable him. Um, I think he needs to be able to go to work or to do ministry knowing that the, the children are taken care of, the house is taken care of. When he comes home, I make sure that our, he comes to a kind of oasis. So I mm. make sure that our house is, you know, in a pretty good shape and he has a hot meal to have for dinner. Because, I do appreciate that. Yeah, because yeah. it's just a way to serve your husband, even if you have a, b- a busy, busy day. But also to make sure that the boys are taken care of and he doesn't have to worry about that. He doesn't mm. have to worry about, you know, what's happening and you can trust me with them doing doing that uh, so yeah it's it's busy but it's it's a blessing to do so and i uh i didn't want homeschool um nope <laughs> 
but the Lord it was so kind to just uh, open up that door for us, and it's been a true blessing to spend the yeah. days with them. And, and that's pre twenty twenty. So yes. Oh, yes. Like the yes. To be so yes. Thank you. We've been homeschooling now for seven years. So wow. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is before uh, even. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So my uh, oldest was going into third grade, and we decided that uh, would be a blessing for us to just uh, homeschool them, and not just academically, but working on their character, working on um, the ways we can love the Lord uh, and teach them how to, you know, serve and yeah. just, it, it was a great choice for our family. And uh, I'm enjoying my time with them because yeah. pretty soon our oldest is going to go to college. So <laughs> he's 12. I he's mean, yeah, it's going to come. It's going <laughs> to yes. happen. But it's, yeah, so it's yeah. been a blessing to spend time with them. And uh, and it's a great work on my heart because uh, it's not always easy. And there are so many, uh, I think children are a mirror in front of your face. And they are my big mirror and of, you know, sinful actions or thoughts but the lord has been gracious to yeah uh in the meantime work on my heart as i uh, shepherd my boys yeah. you know you asked this great question about what does she do to support my ministry and i was <laughs> so then the mirror is in front of my face what do i do to support hers uh, <laughs> I don't really have great answers for that. Um, well, she didn't ask you that. I know. <laughs> no, but I would love to hear it. Oh, yeah, yeah, now yeah, uh, now yeah. that I put myself in the hot seat. Um, actually, there was one that I just thought this would be an encouragement to other people, is the importance of spending time talking and listening uh, and not taking for granted how somebody feels. Um, we, we try that with our kids, of course, to listen to them and spend that kind of time what are you thinking? How are you reacting to this? Tell me a little bit about your day. Those types of almost at this point, dinner conversations or around the house type of talk. Mm -hmm. But with my wife, it's a very intentional thing for me. If, if she's up a little on the earlier side and I can be at a breaking point in my study before I have to be ready for work, or maybe as we're getting ready for the day to take that time and just talk. Mm -hmm. And um, it doesn't have to be sitting down talking, but well, somebody's starting to get ready or somebody's getting the coffee. I'm just, I just drop and I get up and we just go and I'll make a second cup or a second pot at that hour <laughs> uh, and she'll get her coffee and then we'll talk. And what happens is then those times that we haven't been able to really fill each other in from the night before or the day before or a couple of days or something just comes back in we're able to catch up with each other. And so mm -hmm. we have these little spurts of conversations. Mm -hmm. And then I'll try and um, have an afternoon call. It's nothing that's on the calendar, but I need a break from what I'm doing. I'm kind of always behind a screen. So if I can, and, I, and if I'm not at home, then I'm going to go walk around a parking lot and mm -hmm. call my wife. Yeah. And I think it's a great gesture on her part. She drops what she's doing and then we can be on the phone. And so we find that we talk throughout the day in probably 15 or 20 minute segments, sometimes more, sometimes less, but it stacks up to a lot of connected mm -hmm. conversation and communication throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And I find that to be extremely beneficial. I, we have busy lives, but I don't think we're losing each other. Yeah. Yeah. yeah another thing just to uh, answer, um, how do we serve, you know, how do I serve my husband? I feel like 
when you have a family, when you have children, you need to make sure they know that we um, that dad's ministry, his ministry, it's our ministry, and we make sure that when he's um, away teaching or you know preparing for his uh, message or whatever it is, that I involve the children, praying for him mm-hmm. and saying that this is a good thing, and we have this great you know privilege to be a family and ministry that. And that's a way of serving. That's a way also to teach your children that this is not a burden. This is a privilege that the Lord mm-hmm. is using our dad, our my husband, and us as a family to serve him. Yeah, yeah because the Lord doesn't need us, right? That he even uses us. So just to install that in our children, I feel it's a big um, part of my uh, way of serving him to involve my children in that way, that this is not a burden. You know, when dad is not home because he maybe, you know, he's teaching on a Monday night and mm-hmm. yeah, or, you know, a meeting, it's for a great purpose. It's helpful yeah. for me to know that I, my wife is my ally. Mm-hmm. Um, that although we have the frustration of too many nights out of the house or uh, too many hours away or, gosh, this is a burden, how much I have to work on something and that's time away from the family. When those times happen that are just the unavoidable crunch phase or whatever is the task, usually ministry related, um, that's when I know that she's my ally, that she's at the table when I'm not. Mm-hmm. And she's telling the children to pray for me. Mm-hmm. She's not commiserating with with all of the, why isn't he here? Why can we not do this? What about when? And is this ever going to be, yeah. you know, she doesn't and get into that. And don't even have that. those questions, that, you know. Hmm? I think as a result, they don't have those questions um, yeah. of why are you. And when yeah, I preach, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they come to the sermon. Yeah, yeah. I want them to not only benefit from that, but I want them to see how all of those hours of preparation fed into that moment and they could partake of that. Um, and, and part of that, to be honest, is to, to help them for the next time that it happens. Yeah. To understand Sermon Week. You know, it's <laughs> Sermon Week terminates in this event, mm-hmm. but it's all of this work or my dissertation writing. We have to get through this chapter together or we have to make it to this advising meeting and we have to hit this target together. And that's actually been something fun that we've enjoyed to do is um, like I just got through my chapter one of my dissertation and I have chapter two and chapter three still to write. But uh, and the kids will tell you, we had a party after chapter one (laughs) with a cake. Is this you know? what they talked about in Sojourners? Yes. Yeah. And, that Joe, and that Joe had Joe to tell the joke of like, it, it just gets harder. It <laughs> just gets harder and you might not pass chapter two. Yeah, but then I looked at Joe. I said, well, because he's part of that committee. Like, you yeah. better pass it. <laughs> I mean, because if we don't throw a party, it's going to be a funeral. Yeah. I don't know what to do. The boys will have cake. Oh, no, no cake. <laughs> they'll have finger foods and they'll dress in black. Uh, no, but, you know, yeah. it, it's an accomplishment that everyone yeah. has yeah. made. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone has achieved this milestone. And so we celebrate that together. I learned that from Abner Chow mm. that I work with in Sojourners and yeah. who has advised me in past writings on my thesis. Mm-hmm. And um, when you get to a milestone and everybody knows that they've paid the price of those extra hours and those extra days and those, the, the, that long spell of being without you, then you I celebrate, celebrate. Yeah. them having let you do that. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I was celebrating my children and celebrating my wife. 
Wow. And we did it with a cake mm-hmm. and had a great time. <laughs> and actually, my next question is in regards to your children. Because like you mentioned, that's your ministry also. So what are some of the practical things that your guys are doing to make sure that you instruct them in the ways of the Lord, mm-hmm. in the Word of God? Yes, they come to church with you guys. He might come. I've seen them that they sit there and sojourners, you know, with Irma, and they're listening to their dad preaching. Mm-hmm. But what are some of the things that you guys are also doing at home to make sure that they're learning about the Word of mm-hmm. God from you guys as well? Yeah, why aren't you sure about daytime activities? Yeah, so daily, we uh, try every morning before we start our school time with uh, devotion. We are going through a couple devotions that we really like. Am I allowed to make uh, publicity? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm actually going to ask you guys about books and things later on. So So this one I love. um, I will um, mispronounce his name, but it's called um, Wise Up and Listen Up. And uh, Marty Makowski. Thank you. (laughs) Is that the one that you you were telling me about and you added in Amazon? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and it's been such a blessing to go through the... So Wise Up is about Proverbs and how they affect daily life and choices and uh, in a godly uh, way. And also Listen Up is um, about all the parables of Jesus and they are really uh, taught in a way, they are breaking, break, uh, broken down for children and they are able to understand. And it's been, I think, a, a blessing for, our, for them and if, even for me because, yeah, he's a, a great author and he writes uh, very well and explains mm-hmm. the, the Bible very well to them. So we do that and then we pray together and we make sure, let's talk about sin, boys. <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, they're sinners and they know it and they need to know that. They need to know mm-hmm. they are in need uh, of Christ and not because they are in our uh, Christian home that they're guaranteed that they will be saved. So we tell in every conversation that we can possibly have, the gospel is put in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try to, to uh, present the gospel to them and, and why do they sin? Because they're sinners and that's why we need Jesus and that's mm-hmm. why we need his forgiveness. And, and so it goes basically, you know, that's our day and it's inserted there. We pray, we have a, um, a prayer journal that we try to um, put prayer requests from our, you know, so journalists or our families or other people that we know, our neighbors, and we pray with the government. Them. We yes, were praying for that for a while. Yes, yes, that yeah. was a biggie. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and we're yeah, not yeah. perfect in these things. No, so yeah, no. This Mm-mm. doesn't. It, it doesn't happen. It's an ideal every, day. <laughs> yeah, this yes. would be an ideal day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when we get to the evening and we can be together, um, we're trying to do this on a more regular basis uh, to work through scripture together. So we've actually, through the years, we've gone twice through uh, the, uh, the synopsis of the gospel called One Perfect Life. Uh, mm-hmm. Dr. John MacArthur has put this together with Nathan Busnitz. Mm-hmm. And it basically is a synopsis of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then all the prophetic passages as well. And uh, trying to reconstruct the, the actual storyline of Jesus's public ministry. Mm. And it's been such an insightful book, One Perfect Life, because we've been able to go through it, and it's very episodic. So you, you've got chapter eight, and it's just the one narrative on that account mm. from all the different sources in scripture that contributed to it. Mm. Um, and then uh, you can go on and you can do however many stack up to be a reasonable amount of time for family devotion. Yeah. Um, so we will try that either at the dinner table or shortly thereafter, move to the couch 
and go through that. And so the Lord blessed us to go through the life of Jesus through that book on uh, two full cycles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and recently we've been taking up uh, the Proverbs. So uh, instead of just reading a bunch of different Proverbs, we've set uh, our goal is to memorize Proverbs chapter 3. Mm-hmm. And so the boys, at the drop of a hat now, as their minds are amazing. Mm-hmm. They could recount to you by memory Proverbs 3, 1 through 10. Mm-hmm. And we're just... We're trying to dig into that. And the evening is an important time for me to reflect on my instruction to them. I know, and I know without a doubt, they're getting godly instruction in the home through my wife during the course of the day. But to come in, what better place than the Proverbs that's, mm-hmm. that always lead off with, My mm-hmm. son, mm-hmm. my son, do not forget my teaching. Mm-hmm. My son, listen. Uh, and and to pour out godly principles, mm-hmm. oh man, you know, uh, my second child was telling me the other night that I can't just teach them one verse. I tend to turn it into all these other verses <laughs> and just keep going long winded. <laughs> well, because that's expositional teaching. Yeah. I'm I'm actually trying to build in the uh, a more robust understanding at their level. Mm-hmm. to each of those little proverbs that we're memorizing. Yeah. But I just love that we're we're able to quantify a little bit of how much scripture we're putting in by helping them to memorize it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing I think, you know, as believers just for anyone who will be watching and listening that this is marriage and a family is a teamwork because mm-hmm. while you're you know doing your ministry and you're working and all this then Irma is doing all of this at home also making sure that she's not only schooling them but she is constantly you know um, teaching them the God the word of sure. God and that they will grow to be you know men who from a young age that they know about the Lord and that they one day can be like, yeah, mom and dad, they, they taught me about the Lord. This mm-hmm. is what the, what I learned from them. What is that verse that it says in Proverbs that even if in your old age, yes. you won't, uh, you will not. Yeah. Forget. Teach the child yeah. the way that he shall go and, and he will never depart from it. Yeah. Exactly. And this starts right from the, they're, yeah. they're young. And age. that can be yeah. good or bad. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. could be teaching them bad habits and then they don't mm-hmm. depart from that. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and that's the old adage, you know, I'm only human. Um, or I'm my child's uh, or my father's son. And mm-hmm. so I just do the things that my dad did. Mm-hmm. And that can be a really negative thing. And yeah. you, you teach them that way and they won't depart easily from that. Yeah. But we're trying to teach them in that godly direction. And if they can start in on these disciplines, mm-hmm. um, then hopefully they won't depart from those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have just a couple of more questions for you guys. And um, just going back to, um, just because I, I've had it <laughs> from before, this question about uh, the mission field. Uh, what are some of the challenges that missionaries tend to or maybe from your experience, mm. uh, go through? Like, what are some of those challenges that they face uh, mm. when they choose to go this route of the mission field? Well, I didn't serve in a foreign country, so I was serving as a um, local uh, to my own uh, people. So maybe I had less of those first challenges of learning the language and moving to a, a foreign country that you need to learn all over again. But uh, there are challenges in that too, because you're there and people that know you are a missionary, they don't think 
of you as a missionary because you are in your own country mm-hmm. and in, with your own people. And uh, so there are different challenges there, right? They don't understand, uh, also believers there, they don't understand uh, why or, yeah, this is easy for you or um, preaching the gospel, you will have um, the challenges from people like the, the, the unbelievers. And um, so that's a, that's a reality. Either, either you are in your own uh, place or you're going as a missionary. But um, just the fact that you need to um, change your lifestyle. For maybe that's the, 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 the big challenge is the expectation of um, living a life that uh, is a sacrifice. Uh, of you know sacrificing your dreams like in my case you either go to Bible college to pursue being, being a missionary or a career and that it's um, that's a you know that's a sacrifice but you it's a sacrifice you make for the Lord for sure but there are sacrifices and uh, choices that you have to make um, yeah. and yeah um, having a different uh, you know perspective on, on what it, it really matters what are the mm-hmm. important uh, things in life mm-hmm. as a missionary it's very different and then people that you know live a life that you know more uh, comfy and yeah, yeah. <laughs> cushy but yeah so that probably it's what I found. I, you know, and then coming here, that was the shock coming to a different country here, uh, not even as a missionary, but uh, in ministry, uh, there are challenges there too. And yeah, but yeah, yeah I would add that, um, you know, when you when you think of Second Corinthians five, where this ministry of reconciliation mm-hmm. is is so glorious and so ultimately important that. That Paul, like any minister of reconciliation, just cries out, who is adequate for yes. this, for mm-hmm. this task, for this ministry? Who's adequate for these things? Um, I think that's the overall feeling that every missionary either has when they're about to set out to whatever field that is, uh, even in a local urban ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's not the attitude they have at the outset, it's the attitude they're going to quickly develop. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that should mark the, the, the spiritual attitude of a person, is that humility to say, I am, I'm just this clay vessel. Mm-hmm. I, I really am not adequate in and of myself to do this ministry of reconciliation to these people that are idolaters, people that, that are God-haters. How do you turn them into Christ worshipers and God-fearers? Um, well, I'm not adequate for that, but the Holy Spirit needs to do this work through me. But there are so many challenges to to even just the normal functioning of ministry when you're outside of your comfortable zone of ministry, when you're outside of your own sphere. And anybody who's ever been more than a week overseas or in a different context knows that. You can't always find your favorite coffee place. You can't always mm-hmm. find... The, the menu items that bring you comfort. You lose your creature comforts first. Mm-hmm. And with that, you're challenged to depend on the Lord in ways that you never expected to need to. Mm-hmm. And so I think the biggest challenge to a missionary, um, on the one hand, is like Irma is saying, it's communication. It's mm-hmm. communicating to the people that, that seem to be like you, but don't understand why you're there. Like if you're a, a, a national working mm-hmm. in your environment. Or people trying to understand why you need to raise such a high budget for 
to include ministry funds because why do you need to buy the chairs when you why do you need to rent the the meeting hall and turn this into church why do you need to care about those things um let alone the communication of the gospel to people that that have no sense and no spiritual aptitude whatsoever for the truth but it's not just the communication on those levels it's it's that preparation level Mm-hmm. And I think that there are missionaries that get themselves into trouble needlessly because mm-hmm. they have not asked themselves pre-field that tough question of, Am, I know that I'm not adequate, but can I be more equipped in the Word of God? Mm-hmm. Can I be trained uh, to, to mm-hmm. not just love the church, I love the church, that's why I'm out there as a missionary, but actually understand the role of the church in God's kingdom plan, Mm -hmm. or to be trained up in theology, to have a better sense of, of even the work that they ought to do, let alone that which they will end up doing. Mm -hmm. The result of not having the proper um, equipping by the time you get to the field is you start grabbing at just doing anything that looks like it can be kingdom oriented and you Mm -hmm. fall into pragmatism. Mm So and so, they don't like the gospel, and I don't want to offend them. So, in order to talk with my little old neighbor, I, I tell mm-hmm. her this and that to to comfort her. But mm-hmm. for the person down the street, I just give them a smile, and I hope that they can interpret that as coming from Jesus Christ. To the other person, yeah, I'll give them everything short of this call to repent because of their sinful lifestyle. Um, what happens is we start grasping at straws and to do something that seems kingdom oriented that just helps us survive another day. Mm -hmm. Because frankly, that's what a missionary wants to do. Mm -hmm. They want to stay there as long as possible to see God be maximally glorified. The trouble is what's the standard for doing that. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel personally like I'm on this mission to help train missionaries by training those, those pastors that are going out like through the seminary or those that are going to become the trainers of pastors in their environments. Stick to the basics. Mm-hmm. You, you, you have to know and love the gospel. Mm-hmm. You have to be immersed in God's word. You have to be thinking theologically. And you have to understand what this is all about. So that, that ultimately, yes, you, are, you in and of yourself are not adequate for the ministry of reconciliation. But you understand the ministry of reconciliation. You understand what this is all about. And you want Christ to flow through you. So the ultimate goal then is that we're not seeking to be the Savior, but we are seeking to be sufficient in the work that we do. It's the sufficient Word of God. Mm -hmm. And so what does Paul charge Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15? Be a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed. Mm -hmm. And so a missionary that doesn't know how to prepare is probably a missionary that, um, and, and a missionary who hasn't prepared, it's probably a missionary that didn't count the cost. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they're just going to be grappling with this inability to do anything that ultimately is, um, Godward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and anybody can smile at a neighbor. Anybody can say nice things, but that's not the gospel. And we can be treating people in such a way that seems Christian enough and is, is, is Christian in, um, in a moralistic way. Yeah. 
And in the end, are they being saved? So my big burden is making sure that people understand how to count the cost and get the type of equipping they need so that when they're out there, uh, they're seeing the benefit. Mm. Yeah. And so if, obviously, you know, we are all called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, but mm. probably not everyone has the calling to, you yes. know, to go and be a missionary. Sure. But if someone doesn't have that calling, so what are some of the ways that people can be um, helping or con contributing to missionaries? Whichever one's to, to go or... So what are the ways that people can be supporting missionaries? Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, not everybody has to go. Yeah, um, I, I think, though, everyone has to want to see God's glory in the entire earth. Mm -hmm. And they, they should have that godly compassion on all people groups, all people everywhere. And that means that everybody's praying for mm -hmm. God to accomplish his mission. And one of the best things that anybody could do that would be a, a, a mission objective would be to pray daily for mm -hmm. God to accomplish his mission, to save souls today. Uh, repeatedly in the New Testament, you get today is the day of salvation. So am I praying today for the salvation of someone out there? Uh, I think that's just an immediate thing that we can do. Work that into your prayer list. Uh, if you are able to follow missionaries, get their newsletters, sign up for newsletters. Uh, what if on top of the type of giving that you've already structured, you had a little something that you could commit on a monthly basis to a missionary that you know is in need. Mm -hmm. uh, these are great ways that mm -hmm. if you're not the goer, you can enable somebody to be. Mm -hmm. uh, so be the sender. Mm -hmm. um, so send prayers, send support, contact missionaries. They're regular mm -hmm. people too. And, and they're facing life without the creature comforts. Mm -hmm. that perhaps you take for granted. Mm -hmm. And so imagine the type of help it would be if you could just call and say, I'm praying for you. Mm -hmm. And I, I'd love to know a little bit more about how it was to raise your children in southern India. Mm -hmm. I'd like to know a little bit more about what it's like when it's freezing temperatures in Siberia and you're trying to be there and do missions work. You know, engage. Mm. I'm not saying you have to be best friends of everybody and work within your personality style. But we have great means of communication, so avail yourself of that. Mm. The workers will be blessed. Mm. Who knows if from your couch in your urban apartment you can pour into somebody in the jungle, in a desert landscape, somewhere where there is no one thinking of them, mm -hmm. and say, I'm praying for you. And who knows if the Lord's going to use that to refresh them mm. for the work of the ministry that day. And perhaps even see somebody be saved. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I can think of just uh, Roman's testimony. Um, it were, there, were two, uh, there were some missionaries who went to Latvia to the orphanage where he was. And he, they, they brought the Bibles with them. I think the Gospels, like four Gospels, I believe. Mm. And he called them magazines or the book of, of God. <laughs> That's what he, he called it. But just to see how the Lord used those missionaries to eventually bring him to salvation. And, um, and well, uh, his testimony was like a couple of episodes before. 
But just to see that, the importance of people going to yes. preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the nations. Mm-hmm. So, because there are so many souls that need to be saved. It and, starts with yeah. compassion. If you love people, yeah. mm-hmm. then you're going to think creatively on their behalf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's a way that I can use the lockdown? What's a way that mm-hmm. I can use quarantine? I think this podcast is an example of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know, um, I, I won't say who it is, I know a man who is committed in his retirement to preaching in China. And he goes uh, a couple times a year, and he has a network, and he's got a way to do it, and it's underground churches. And you get the handoff, and somebody meeting you in a back alley, and you get in a car and drive to another car so you're not being followed. He's got the whole thing down. And then what do you do during quarantine? Well, he um, he said it was interesting that with all the restrictions that are being placed, especially on Christians and all the surveillance, with quarantine, the focus of the government shifted so much that they found they could just openly do Zoom meetings with all of these underground churches. And from his home in North America, he's able to, on a daily basis, reach all of those uh, underground churches in China just through an open Zoom meeting. Mm-hmm. And so now he's regularly giving the teaching that would have taken a long time to get to them in person. And he's been able to do it. I said, but aren't you concerned about crackdowns? What if the government can track IP addresses and stuff? Mm-hmm. He said, frankly, the way the world is right now, China has bigger problems. <laughs> so yeah. when you have a compassion for the world, then it's not just the world in general. We shouldn't just you have this travel bug and mm-hmm. just want to be like Christian tourists everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's for the people of the world. It's for the non-believers, and it's for the churches, yeah. and the churches that reach them. So then, from there, you think, what can I do creatively to somehow turn this compassion into uh, the machinery of spiritual mm-hmm. warfare? Actually, make this useful in a place that mm-hmm. I can't be right now, mm-hmm. or be on a regular basis. Yeah. And so now, for my next question, is about books. Mm-hmm. Uh, Favorite books that you guys have or helpful books um, that yes. you can share with the listeners? Yes, yes. Um, well, I love books and <laughs> there are a few that I I was um, thinking that are really special to me. One is um, Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. And um, it was actually, I read it the first time before a major trial uh, came into our lives before uh, one of our children was diagnosed with a heart condition and Mm -hmm. he had to undergo open heart surgery. And it was, I didn't know, but the Lord put that book into my hands to read it right at the right time because um, it's really many ways he deals with anxiety and how do we trust the Lord with with what ifs? Mm -hmm. What if this happened? What if this happened? And then what? And he says you don't need to know the what ifs there is the grace that will come at the right time and do you trust the lord even if the worst thing you ever imagine he says what happened to you would you still tr- trust him and so this was a great it's a great book that i you know i think everybody should go back also after reading it trusting because god. you know trusting god by jerry bridges and then um, I love missionary stories. Uh, so one I mentioned was the story of Amy Carmichael. That's how I got the you know the interest in mission. But also I was just reading. I finished this beautiful book. It's the life of Anne Judson. It was the wife of Adonai Judson, uh, to um, missionary to Burma or Myanmar. 
and the book is called My Heart in His Hands, and it's uh, all over um, a little notes that she left and uh, prayers and uh, letters when she was as a, uh, a missionary to her family and friends. And just this beautiful heart that she had for the Lord, that really that sacrificial love for Christ and what they went through um, as a couple and just beautiful um, testimony of God's grace in her life. And that was just an encouragement. So I told Chris, when I go to heaven, I want to see Jesus, but then I'm going to go to Anne and say, wow, let's, yeah. so <laughs> let's have tea. And let's have tea. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah. Uh, what else? I think. What about you? What about you? Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I have a few. I, I've been thinking about this um, that I'd really like to read more books that are not academic. <laughs> I'm stuck <laughs> in a PhD, so I can tell you all my favorite contributors to this or that research topic. Yeah. Uh, and gratefully, all of it's on missions. Unfortunately, to do type of critical work I do in PhD, it's all the bad guys in missions. <laughs> it's all the things that we don't like, and I have to yeah. read them to write against them. But there is um, there is some missions focus that that I've been able to bring in to more of the devotional sphere, mm-hmm. and one of them is a, a, a book, and it's just simply wow. titled John G. Patton, Missionary to the New Hebrides, and it is by Paul Schlelein. Uh, he is uh, Paul Schlelein did this through Banner of Truth Books a couple years ago, and it's it's so well organized. You know, sometimes when you get into these missionary biographies. It's now I've got to chart dates and I've got to walk through and their life becomes more important than all the other people I'm praying for that are still alive because it takes so much work to try and figure out all the nuances. Mm -hmm. This is a book that kind of strips his life down to major themes and how he dealt with the types of trials that he did, like like the cannibals on the island trying to dig up his wife and his baby's corpse in order to Mm -hmm. eat it. Um, so you look at a book like that and you say, I have so much to learn from a guy like this. And so mm-hmm. Paul Schlelein's book on John G. Patton um, was a really helpful way to get all the right nuggets in all the right places and give me some personal challenges as a as a maturing man in Christ from a missions perspective. Um, another is a go-to, and I just love it. It's Randy Alcorn's Heaven. Um, it's so helpful because he he understands heaven the way it's meant to be understood from Scripture, Old and New Testament, and it's very much a real living place that um, that now is a, a spiritual realm for those that that die in Christ, um, but it's also uh, or in the hope of Messiah from the Old Testament. But one day it'll be the new heavens and the new earth, and so he delves into all the different particulars of, you know, all the theological positions that are thrown out there. And I like that from a theology point of view, but I like just casting vision toward what a new creation would look like. What, what can we know from scripture about the new heavens and the new earth? Because my mind dwells there a lot, Mm -hmm. especially at times like these. Mm -hmm. If I don't have a biblical picture of what awaits the future, I can sometimes get lost in the politics of today. Yeah, um, and then I think uh, another book, speaking theologically, but it's a simple little book. Um, there's a there's a few, and it's by Paul Washer. Paul Washer is this great mm, yeah. little. I think it's a trio of books, but um, I, I've read at least two of them. One of them is called um, 
the gospel call and true conversion. And what I like about um, the gospel call and true conversion is just the simple layout of here's what anybody needs to know in order to proclaim the gospel. And here's mm-hmm. what every listener needs to know in order to be assured of salvation. Yeah. So extremely helpful little book. Mm-hmm. And um, it's amazing how you can be convicted time after time when you just read a simple, straightforward accounting of uh, the gospel and what true conversion is marked by mm-hmm. and say, is this me? Is this me? Mm-hmm. And so you read something like that and it never gets old. Mm-hmm. Partly because the gospel is always relevant, but partly because we're always like the the apostles and wonder, is it me that betrays you in this way, in this way? Mm-hmm. You know, for them, they didn't know that it was Judas and not them. Mm-hmm. But what about the apostles made them turn their fingers on themselves to wonder if they had the propensity to leave Christ that way. And so when you're confronted with a book just straight up about the gospel and what not an ideal Christian looks like, but what a true Christian looks like, it always points some fingers back at you. Mm -hmm. And that is extremely, immensely practical for every maturing believer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Last question for the two of you, and then I will have a last question for Chris. Oh, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> so three things that brings you joy, or that gives you joy. Irma, let's start with you. Uh, okay. <laughs> Any Anything, right? Yeah. Anything well, to be simple. It doesn't have to be something yes, super. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well... Okay, I thought about this because you give me a preview of questions. <laughs> yeah. um, well, my children bring me joy, um, truly, and that's a joy that, yeah, it's just a gift. So that that's one. Uh, another one, uh, I love, I love, I love, it brings me so much joy when I get to sing with Chris at mm. home or at church or anywhere it's just uh, many times, well, I wish it was more often at home. We just don't have that much time like we used to. But just we get on the piano, he gets on the piano, and I, uh, I am next to him, and I get to sing with him. So that's one. Uh, that's two. Uh, those were hard because they're like, oh, there are so many things that bring me joy. Okay. Only Third, three. I know. I narrow it down. Ah, um, I love decorating my house and... I love to change it up. I love anything about um, decoration and, um, you know, home, uh, what do you call it? Decor, just yes, rearrange yes, yes, the yes, house. Yes. Anyway, that's, that brings me joy. And yeah, I, I like to do that. That's one of the most, yeah, things that I don't know. I find a happy place when I do that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Three yeah. things for you, Chris. All right. Um, well, they're they're not nearly as spiritual as as those. No. Um, Decorating is not spiritual. <laughs> it is tough because you ask the question, you know, what bring you joy? And so I'm just thinking, you know, there's many things that we might enjoy, but the things yes. that kind of give you a lasting satisfaction. Uh, but they're still very simple things. So one of them is uh, when we have a chance to get away to the beach. And it really doesn't matter which beach, but there's one particular beach since we live here in L.A. And it's not too far away. And um, I really love just going up and down. And rather than even playing in the waves, I love looking for tiny little white quartz stones uh, or little rocks. Uh, It's just the funniest thing. And so, you know, I just I collect them. And so I just make sure that I always have shorts that have pockets (laughs) pockets <laughs> it's just like bold. Yes, yes, so basically i love stealing from the beach 
stealing the natural resources. I do it too. I've done yeah. it. Like yeah. the bring the seashell. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For me, it's it's a particular type of white quartz stone, and I just love that. Uh, that brings me joy. Uh, another thing is going on long drives with my wife. I love a good road trip, and I, I think a road trip's great with anybody, almost any direction except toward Texas. Um, but uh, just dry. Um, but I like I like a nice road trip as just time to talk. And but the only catch to that is I like to be in the driver's seat. If I have to be on the passenger seat, I I, I might go nuts. So I would that would not bring me joy. Um, you what's the third thing? And the third one, one last one. Oh gosh, last one. Mm, All right, last one, hard. last one, last one. Um, well, it involves my kids, mm-hmm. and uh, as it ought to. Uh, but this one, it's the shorter drives that we take. And I mm. think this is because it brings them joy. Maybe it's something that I did first with them. They found out that I liked it. And now they just allow me to do it with them. And they make <laughs> it seem like it comes from them. But it's to hop in the car and just drive around the neighborhood. Aww. And we like that. And so I did that with uh, with both boys even this week as time to reconnect after a lot of projects and things. Not big projects that required a party, but, you know, the types that required, you know, a Frappuccino or a Slurpee and a small little drive through the neighborhood. And, um, you know, just getting lost street after street with with my family is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And it brings me just a nice, simple joy. And my last question is for you, Chris. Why do we need Christ? For anyone who's listening and might not be a believer and... Hear all these testimonies, and it's all about Christ, Christ, Christ. What is so with us, with us Christian that we can stop talking about this Christ? Mm. Well, we need Christ, and that's the first thing. We need Christ on every level of what Christ can offer us. Uh, but we don't have to overly moralize it. I, I don't need to tell you that you need Christ because he's going to give you a more satisfying life, or you need Christ because... That way you can be sure that you're going to heaven and not hell, something that satisfies you from a, from a pleasure standpoint uh, or even that eternal pleasure standpoint. You need Christ because without him, you have no access to the Father. You have no ability to know what pleases God, the one who made you. Now, Christ has made you too. We always talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit three persons of God uh, who are all involved in your creation and in the creation of all things. But if you don't have Jesus Christ and you don't embrace the gospel and you don't repent of your sins and you don't, um, you, you don't obey him in worshiping Christ, the one who has paid for sinners' sins on the cross, then you can never come to the Father in any way. Now, what I mean by that is, very simply, if you look in Hebrews, uh, there's this interesting little phrase, and I think it's in chapter 3, where it says that if you do not pay attention to these things about Messiah, then you will drift away from the living God. And there, uh, the writer is speaking to Jews who, for centuries, for millennia, have been worshiping what they understood to be God the Father, trying to live out his will, trying to 
follow in obedience to what they know and how they ought to live according to the faith in the one true God. But without Christ, they drift away from the living God. The trouble is they'll keep worshiping and they'll keep worshiping their version of the true and living God according to their rules, according to their standards, but apart from the Trinity. Without Christ, they're idolaters. They're not actually worshiping the Father. And so they're in a predicament without Christ that you're in a predicament without Christ. And it's this, that you have no answer for why you're here. You have no perspective on what this world is all about. You have no possibility of the pleasures of this world without God and without understanding that from from his point of view. And without Christ, you'll never actually understand how to fulfill God's will and be pleasing to him. Mm -hmm. And so if you had any desire to connect with God, to understand who you are, why you're here, how to, to please him and how to live in a way that even would benefit you, then you need Christ. Mm-hmm. Jesus is that one mediator between God and man. And it's through Jesus Christ that you can be reconciled to God and you actually have all the abundant answers that are found in scripture and can apply to you. See, without Christ, you still have scripture, right? There's words on a page and you can flip around and you can learn everything you want. But if you do not surrender your life to Jesus Christ, then those words are just words. But when you do, they become alive. And so to have Christ is to know the will of God. And to know the will of God is to finally have an understanding of what would please him from your life. And you know, then out of that, you get all the other benefits, right? If you seek first the kingdom of God, according to what he's revealed, and that kingdom, of course, as established by Christ, the King, King Jesus, then all the other things will be added to you. And you're going to find that through Christ, you're going to have a will to live. You're going to find that through Christ, you now have a compassion for the suffering world around you. And you understand why the world is suffering. Mm. You also understand how to love rightly and how to be loved. And you also get a hope of heaven. Through Christ, you actually get everything that you're looking for. But it's, that's not the reason to come to him. You come to him so that you can have a relationship with your creator. And from there, live out that relationship now and for all eternity. That's why you need Jesus. Well, thank you so much, Chris. And thank you, Aramatu, for uh, joining us and being part of the podcast. Like I told Chris before mm-hmm. we started recording, well, you know, you are great to come once. <laughs> you can expect that maybe we can be, hey, Chris, would you like to join us back and <laughs> return? And I don't know. What do you think the answer will be? What will you answer? <laughs> well, 
Let's just wait till you ask the question. That's but I think it'll be yes. I think it would be a, a yes. You, you passed the test. Do we need to shake on it? Let's not shake on it. Let's not shake on it. That's the beauty. No, I, I just think uh, um, just like we listen to the testimonies, I also want people to be able to have um, a sense of like that they're learning also about Christ, about the word of God through this podcast. And that's why we have other people that they return, other men that they come and teach the word of God so that whoever is listening, they're continually, you know, if they don't have a church or they don't have the means to be able to grow, you know, in the word of God, that they will be able to do that through here. So that's our prayer. And just very quickly, how can anyone who's listening today be praying for you guys? Just that we, um, since we talk about our lives and our um, testimony, that we keep just growing in, in, in the image of Christ, so that we um, reflect Christ to our children and people around us in our ministry. We are faithful mm-hmm. to, um, to Him, to the Lord, first and foremost, and faithful in what He gives us. Mm-hmm. Um, as a family and as individuals in service or whatever it is that we um, really glorify Him with our yeah. lives. Yeah. And do you mind if I mention about your brother? Yes. If yes, they could be praying. Yes, Can you just absolutely. briefly tell yes, us what's going you. on with thank your brother? You for, mm-hmm. Yeah. For opening that. Um, yes. Yeah, so my brother um, was diagnosed, um, I think right now, two, three weeks ago with colon cancer and he um unfortunately his cancer has spread through his body and is in his lungs uh and right now they did a surgery um to uh, remove the cancer uh, last week uh they were able to remove to remove the big uh cancer that uh, they found uh, in his colon but also um right now they're finding ways to do a therapy uh, probably chemo after mm-hmm. he comes home and he uh, heals from the surgery. Yeah, yeah. he's yeah. in Italy, so yes, it makes yes, it Italy, that yeah. much more of a distance yeah. from yeah. the family, which makes it extra hard. So you can be praying for Irma mm-hmm. and yeah. that too. That's uh, quite a distance to have to bear. Yeah. yeah, and with COVID, I would have gone if you know uh, things were different. If it was yeah. before COVID, and it's just hard. I even if I go now, they are they are in a special um hospital it would i mean where a specialist is and that's six hours from home and right now you have to quarantine and it's uh, very difficult so just pray that when we go in june um you know we'll be with them will be a blessing for them to be uh, there pray for my parents because it's been very hard for them to just endure this trial and for him for jonathan jonathan is his name jonathan so be praying for jonathan and he is a believer praise the lord yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so we know that our hope is not in this world but it's in knowing that one day we'll be with our savior and we will see him face to face and just be praying for irma and her family and also for jonathan that the lord will continue to give you guys wisdom and strength through this time and if it is the if it is the lord's will that he will be healed also yes yes absolutely thank you yeah of course and thank you guys for just uh staying with us (laughs) i know this will probably be a long one but hey Thank you for, if you stay until the end, thank you so much. I hope this has been a blessing to you all. Don't forget that you can share this with your friends and family. And just in closing, Chris, will you close us in prayers, please? Oh, I'd love to. Thanks. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity 
to testify to your gospel grace in our lives. Thank you so much for the opportunity to do ministry on the basis of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us and this ministry of reconciliation that you have you have birthed in us. Lord, I ask that um, that for us, for Arlenis and her family, for all involved in the podcast and all of the listeners, that you would continue to find us faithful and that you would protect us from the evil one and allow us to, uh, to continue to grow in grace and the knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ, for the work of the ministry. And Lord, I ask that uh, you would grow your church and that little opportunities like these to see what you're doing from a different vantage point would be useful in service in ways that we have no idea about. Lord, would you protect this ministry of this podcast and, uh, and the, the lives involved? And would you continue to bless us with godly thinking, the right mindset, one which is to see you glorified in all the earth, to see you high and lifted up as you are now. We ask that you would forever be, but in our sights and in a real way, Lord, please come back soon. Deliver us but establish your kingdom here on earth and then in the new earth and the new heavens long into the future. All of this we pray, asking your will to be done through Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Hey guys, thank you so much for listening or watching our podcast. If you're enjoying our podcast, we would like to invite you to support us by leaving us a review. Let us know how you have been encouraged by each one of the stories that you have listened here. Also leaving us your feedback. You can also help by following us on social media on Instagram and Facebook or by liking or commenting on our post and also by sharing with your friends and family. Also, don't forget to subscribe on our podcast and YouTube channel. Another way that you can also help us is financially by visiting our Patreon page by going on the link here on the description.